Amen. And Father, that is our prayer, that your son Jesus Christ would be magnified in our lives, that we would decrease so he could increase. And Father, I just pray now that by the power of your spirit, you would use your word change us to conform us to the image of your son Jesus Christ, the one who came, who lived, who died, was raised, that we could have eternal life. Father, I pray for those that are here today that maybe have wandered from you and might be struggling. I pray today you would bring them back to you, that they would have a, a real vital abiding relationship with you. And I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, be magnified in this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated and welcome. And as our children leave, our student ministry is going to take off and they'll be going out over to Mercury Mines. We're uh, excited about what's going on with our student ministry. And thank you to Brody and all of our leaders for their leadership. And while they're departing, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and find your way to... Um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab uh, one of the black Bibles and you can find 2 Timothy on page 935. And so um, we're going to continue to look into God's Word to see what God's Word has to say for us. And God has a lot to say. I'm really encouraged about this, this text today. Well, if you don't know me, you probably don't know that I'm a planner. I love to plan. In fact, we talk about in the ministry, it's working not just in the ministry, but on the ministry. And I think that's true in our lives. It's important to plan so you can prepare for what's ahead, schedule things out. Pam and I are very intentional about this. Usually on Sunday afternoons, we'll sit together with our, ca our calendars and, and we'll plan out the next week. We'll look at who we have to get to. We'll talk about our children. We'll talk about our dates. We'll talk about anything that might be on her calendar with regard to real estate, with mine, with regard to church. And then... We, we communicate. It's a great thing. And, and when we communicate, we don't get into trouble. Uh, at least I don't. If I do communicate, sometimes I mess up and I forget things like, the, like happened this w last week. Uh, but with regard to my preaching, I, I, I like to plan. I put together a preaching calendar for the, usually for six months to a year out. And I'm very intentional about that because I want to make sure that we always know where we're going. I, I take into consideration the fact that maybe we were in Exodus this last fall uh, this summer, we did a series on how to rightly interpret the Bible, and then I felt that it was important to do a pastoral epistle. We had not done one of those uh, in a long time. Actually, I don't think I've ever done one at Hope. And then, you know, we, we, you know maybe we need to be in a gospel. So I, I look out ahead, and we plan uh, for that. As a staff, we plan. We're very intentional about that. Twice a year, we have a calendar planning. It's not a lot of fun because we're really intentional to look out over the next eight months, and we want to make sure we're, we're we're fulfilling our mission and our vision, so we look at first step, next step, when we're going to baptize, when we're going to um, uh, when we're gonna have child dedication, which is next week, by the way. We're going to look at when we're going to be training for our children's ministry, our, our, our youth leaders, our small group leaders. And so we plan. We, we want to plan to make sure that we're not getting messed up out in the future and we don't have any conflicts. A businesses plan. If you're in sports... Sport teams plan, like today the Cardinals have got some real planning to do against the 49ers, and, and, and they're going to have to plan their offensive scheme, their defensive scheme. They're going to think about the enemy, the, the, the 49ers that they're playing, the, excuse me, the 49ers that they're playing. And so they, they have to plan, and, and we do that, they do that, because they want to 
They want to make sure that they're on the right track. Some of you are good planners. Some of you, not so much. But let me tell you where a place you should always plan. And that's to persevere in this Christian walk. Because we can just think, we'll let it come at us as it will. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves being taken down. The enemy would love to take us down. He would love to take our, our families down. Do you have a plan to persevere in this culture that is against you and against your family? Will you be able to say, as Paul said at the end of his life, the words that he says in chapter 4? Maybe you can turn there in verse 6. Remember, he's in prison. He says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering in the time of my departure has come. Paul knew that at any point in time, a Roman soldier would come and take him to his execution. He says in verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, on the day of salvation, on the day of the Lord. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Will you be at the end of your life be able to say, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. That's why it's so important to have a plan to persevere. Big idea of the message today is this. Persevering for God's glory requires a life strengthened by God's grace and a plan. To persevere for God's glory it requires a life that's strengthened, daily strengthened by the grace of God, but also by a plan. Let me ask you, do you have a plan to persevere? We kind of see that in chapter 2, verses 1 and following. Let me read. And you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach us others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Paul has some steps for a plan to persevere. Let me give a couple to you. First of all, be strengthened by God's grace. Be strengthened by God's grace. Again, look at verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul's just wrapped up encouraging Timothy, reminding him of his legacy of faith that he got from his mother and his grandmother. He challenges him to Fan into flame the faith that is in him to stir it up. There's times we need to stir up the faith that is in us. He reminded him not to be ashamed of the gospel or of his testimony. The fact that the gospel had, had saved him, that, that, that the gospel, through the gospel, death was defeated, that will be vindicated on the last day. He, he reminded him in verse 13 to follow the, the sound pattern of words that he had taught him that, to, to entrust what was given to him, the, the good deposit, the gospel. And then at the end of chapter 1, he talks about two categories of people. One represented by Onesiphorus, 
those that refresh, and the other one by Phygelus and Hermogenes, those that disappoint. He said, Timothy, you don't want to be one that disappoints. You need to have a plan to persevere. So he says in chapter 2, verse 1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened. See, the way you persevere is you must be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say, Timothy, you got this. Like, you just need to speak it. Just, you're strong, you can do this. Dig deep. Grab yourself up by the bootstraps. No, he says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The command to be strengthened is in the present passive tense. Don't strengthen yourself. Be strengthened. Be strengthened, not in your own power, but in the power of Christ. In fact, it's in the tense of be strengthened and keep on being strengthened. It's not, it's not like you did it last week and you're good. Wake up every day. Be strengthened by the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's already told Timothy that he's received power. We saw that in, uh, in verses uh, 7 and 8, where he says in verse 7, he says, God, uh, chapter 1, he said, God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. We see again in verse 8, he says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel. How? By the power of God. In verse uh, verse 14, he says, by the Holy Spirit who, who dwells within us, guard the good deposit uh, entrusted to you. He says, so you already have this power. In Christ, you have power. You just need to tap into it. Look at Isaiah chapter 41. We see Isaiah says, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corner saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. He says, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Our strength and our power comes from God. But so often, we don't submit to that. In fact, the same grace that saves us and sanctifies us is the grace that strengthens us. So let me ask you a question. What keeps you from activating the power that's been provided to you? You, your self-reliance, your self-righteousness, your independence. I got this. I'm good. You're looking at somebody that many times submits to that kind of thinking. That's why Jesus says in, in Luke 9, 23, he says, if anyone desires to come after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross and he must follow me. It's this whole idea that I must die daily. Paul talked about it. I must deny myself. I must take up my cross and follow him. See, it's often when we get to the end of ourselves that we finally will go to God for strength and for power. It, it's like in, in 1 Chronicles 20, when Jehoshaphat, the king of Israel, 
the king of Judah, when, when, when they were surrounded in Jerusalem, they were surrounded. He calls a fast. He calls a time of prayer. And finally he prays in 2 Chronicles 20, 12. He says, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. You know, it is in that moment that strength comes, that the power of the Holy Spirit comes to us. Luke chapter 15, the parable of the prodigal son. The story of the of the of the one of the brothers that takes half of his dad's takes his inheritance half of his dad's wealth. He goes to Las Vegas and he loses it all. And he finds himself in a ditch. He finds himself in pig slop. Not a great place for a Jewish boy to be. It says he comes to the end of himself. Look what Luke 15 says. But when he came to himself. Sometimes we need to have that recognition. Like, why am I just like trying to do this in my own strength and my own power? How many, he goes, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? And then you just see this change. He says, I will arise and go to my father. And you can just see this. All of a sudden, there's a pep in his step. He, he says, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And, and you see him get up and he goes to his father. And his father is waiting for him, ready for him to come back. He runs to him. It's a beautiful picture. It is in that, in that moment that we press into the grace of Christ and that we receive his empowering. I mean, you see it in, in 1 Samuel when David... Was, was fleeing from Absalom. He's got, now he's got his 400 men and they leave their wives and their children in Ziklag and they go out and, 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 and they, they win battles, but then they come back and, and the Amalekites have come into Ziklag and they've, they've burned the whole town. They've taken all their women and their, and, their wives and their children. They've taken their women and their wives. Okay, they've taken their wives and their children. Yeah, it, was, it was a different day, right? And so, and so what happened... It's like you would think, and it says that all of his men wanted to stone David. And you would have, think, you would have thought in that moment that David says, okay, guys, we've got to come up with a plan. But in, in 1 Samuel 36, verse 6, it says, and David strengthened himself in the Lord. I mean, that's just, that verse strikes me. Because how many of us were just like, man, we would have gotten our muskets. We would have gotten our glocks, whatever we had. And we're going like, we're gonna, to we're gonna just you know, storm the hill. But it says David first strengthened himself in the Lord. John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine. My father is the vine dresser. You are the branches. In, in fact, in, in, in 15, 5, it says, I am the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. See, what Jesus was telling them is that your strength and your power come when you're connected to me, when you abide in me, when you're resting in me. Now, we had some pretty heavy winds yesterday. Maybe some of you lost a branch in your yard of a tree. If a branch is laying on the ground, disconnected from the tree, how much power does it have? None. See, that's what happens to us sometimes. We get so disconnected from the Lord that we have no power. We have no strength. 
That's why Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. The only way that branch can bear fruit is to be vitally connected to the vine. See, it's, that's when the, the life and the strength of the, and the sap of the, of the tree starts to press out into the branches and produces fruit. That's where our strength is. See, but so often we get separated from the community of the church. We get separated from the centrality of Christ in our lives, and we have no strength. We have no power. So Paul says to Timothy, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What is that grace? It's, it's, it's the salvation that you've received. It, it was a grace gift. You did nothing to deserve it. That's what makes it grace. The source of God's strength is God's son. It, it's, it's taking time to abide in Jesus Christ it's resting in him. It's worshiping him. It's meditating on his truth. You know what that takes? Time. It doesn't happen apart from time. It's being so vitally connected that I'm empowered. You can't shortcut that. See, it's, it's his presence, which we know that he's with us. And it's his, it's his grace that strengthens us, our trust in him. It's when you find yourself distanced from him, there's no strength. There's no strength to fight sin. There's no strength to fight, live victoriously. And some of you right now, you might be saying, like, that's me. That's me. Like, yeah, I'm here at church. I feel no power. I feel no strength. Because you're, you've been separated from a real relationship with the Lord. See, that's where you got to admit it. Confess it. Lord, I, I confess that's where I am. That's why I love small groups. Because in our small groups, we get real about where we are. Because it's, it's not until we get real with where we are that we can change where we are. I mean, if we... If we just keep putting up airs, thinking like I'm okay and hopefully everybody thinks I'm okay, like that's dangerous. We need other brothers and sisters to challenge us, hold us accountable to remain connected to the Lord. See, it's when we are separated from the centrality of Christ, from the community that God has given us, his church, that's when we are most susceptible to fall. So Paul urges Timothy, listen, your plan to persevere, you must be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Here's the second part. To persevere, be a disciple by making disciples. And be a disciple by making disciples. Look at verse 2. And what you have heard from me, notice the and, it's a conjunction, it's the same sentence, being strengthened by the grace that is Christ in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Faithful perseverance includes taking what's been entrusted to you and passing it on to others. It's going on the offensive. 
It's not taking a defensive posture, but it's going on the offensive. It's a call to action. It's a call to multiply. It's a call to purposeful discipleship. It's one of our six distinctives at this church. We want to be about intentionally, purposefully discipling others. So what is disciple making? What is a disciple maker? Well, we know that Jesus commissions us to make disciples in Matthew chapter 28. Before he ascends into heaven, after the resurrection, he says, and it says, and Jesus came to them, came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Like all authority, not just some, all authority. And then he says, go therefore and make disciples. In fact, it really could be translated, as you are going, make disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's a number of elements that come out in the Great Commission. One is as you're going, you want to make disciples. We want to see people saved. We want, to, we want them to hear the truth of the gospel, the fact that their sin has separated from them from a holy God. As a result, the wages of their sin is death. They're facing eternal death in hell. But God made a way. He sent his son, Jesus. God the Father sent God the Son into this world. He lived a sinless life. He was God's sacrificial lamb, his spotless lamb. He died on the cross as a sacrifice for us. He took on all of God's wrath for our sin, past, present, and future. And he was raised on the third day that when we turn from our sin and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we can be saved. And once somebody is saved, immediately you see in the New Testament, they get baptized. Which represents their death to their old life and being raised to walk in newness of life. Let me go back to that uh, verse real quick. But, but salvation and baptism is just the beginning. He says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And so we are to take those truths and teach them to others. Dave Mathis, who... Uh, runs Desiring God, John Piper's ministry, wrote this about discipleship. He says, disciple-making is being Jesus' instrument in making others into followers of him. Disciple-making is intentionally and relationally investing oneself in the spiritual growth and maturity of a few disciples. We are instruments of Christ. And we are being used to intentionally and relationally pour into others what, have been what has been given to us. Salvation is an in-the-moment act. Discipling is an involved, ongoing, time-consuming process. Now, when I was in Dallas, I was on Tony Evans' um, board for about seven years. And Tony Evans used to always say, he probably still does, your discipleship really doesn't get going until you start pouring into others. Why is that? Well, it's the law of the teacher. The teacher's the one that always learns the most, right? 
So let's say you're meeting with some people and you're, you're doing some discipleship and they ask you a question and you don't know the answer. Do you just fake it till you make it? No. Like, I don't know the answer, but I'm going to go find out. And as you do, guess who learns the most? We learn the most. And, and, and Paul is telling Timothy to engage in the mission, to take what you've learned and pass it on to others. We, we see this going all the way back into Deuteronomy. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's the, it's the Shema. The, the nation of Israel is standing at the Jordan River. They, they've, they're 40 years, they've been wandering in the wilderness. Now they're getting ready to cross over to the promised land. And, and it's the second law in the Shema is to hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And then he says, he says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Should you just keep them there? No. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Here's the point. You can't impart what you don't possess. Take the truths that you've learned and teach them to others. I remember when we first became believers, I was so excited about what I was learning in the Bible. I literally went back to my office on Monday and I taught it to the men in my, my office. I was so excited about Jesus, like, like, you know, when they say people get religion, I got religion and I was probably obnoxious, but I was just, I would say, come on guys, you got to hear what, what I learned this week. And we just take that information. I didn't know that you weren't supposed to do that. I just was excited about doing it. I'm not saying you're not supposed to do it. Here's a question. Are you making disciples? Are you taking the truths of God's word that you're learning and you're passing them on? You know, if you don't engage with others, you won't impact others. Impact takes engagement. Making disciples, though, can be exhausting. Don't do it in your own strength. Do it in the strength of the Spirit. There's great joy to being used by the Spirit to pour into others. This is God's will for all of our lives, not just for us that are elders and teachers and pastors. In fact, it's part of our mission and vision here at Hope that we would glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission, that we would see lost people saved, saved people mature, mature people multiplied for God's glory. We want, we want to be a discipling church going on the offense. Now, some of you are really good at this. Some of you are discipling others. You're making disciples as small group leaders. Some of you are doing it in your youth ministry, in the youth ministry. There, many of our youth leaders are over there right now. You're doing it in our children's ministry. Some of you are doing it with our young adults on Thursday nights. Some of you are, are, are pouring into others through premarital counseling or one-on-one -on -one discipleship. Some of you might be life leaders at GCU. Maybe you're doing it with your family, doing family devotions. And some of you are not. We're called to be disciple makers. Let me ask you, are other people growing because you are pouring into them? Fact is, when you pour into others, not only do you grow, but the kingdom advances. And other people's lives are being impacted for God's glory. Look again at verse 2. He says, and, and, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Let me put up a, gr a graphic that kind of 
shares this. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was Saul, after he got saved, we know that Galatians tells us that he spent three years in Galatia, I mean, out in Arabia, and he would learn from the Lord. But Paul poured into Timothy. We see that really on his missionary journeys, and we see it confirmed in his letters. But he says, I want you to commit to faithful men who could teach others also. Somebody said, this looks like multi-level marketing. Yeah, that was like, it's the first multi-level marketing, but this is how you get the gospel out there. And the, and the fact is this, is, this is Paul pouring into Timothy saying, commit this to faithful men who can teach others also. I mean, you, you see the impact it can have. What happens if you don't? Well, God still loves you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. We know that. In fact, we've talked about J.D. Greer's prayer, which, which he says, God, I know there's nothing uh, I can do to make you love me more. I know there's nothing I've done that can make you love me less. But the fact is, if you don't, you become like the Dead Sea. Why the Dead Sea? Well, let me show you a picture of the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is dead. It's at 1,412 feet below sea level. It's the lowest elevation on the earth. And this, it used to be a beautiful river. Now it's kind of a little stream, depending upon the season. The Jordan River flows right into it. It has life. But the minute it gets to that spot, because there's no outflow, everything just dies. In fact, the salinity level of the Dead Sea is 34%. Now, I didn't think much of that until I realized that the ocean salinity level is 3.5%. That's why everything that flows in there is dead. We don't want to be like the Dead Sea. We want to be like Lake Tahoe. Refreshing. Lake Tahoe, about 6,600 feet above sea level. It has like, I think, 63 tributaries that feed into it. And then it flows out through the Truckee River. About a third of it flows out, and it's just, it's crystal clear. It's got like, I wrote it down, 99.994% purity. Like, we want to be like Lake Tahoe. We don't want to be like the Dead Sea. That's why Paul says to Timothy, he says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to share with others also. And here's the thing. You will never know the impact you have when you start pouring into somebody else. How many of you have ever heard of Edward Kimball? Edward Kimball, in 1858, was in Boston. He was a Sunday school teacher, and he struck up this relationship with a shoe clerk named Dwight. Ended up leading him to Christ. This, court, this clerk was Dwight L. Moody. He became an evangelist. He went to England in 1879. A guy named Frederick Meyer, a pastor of a small church, heard him preach and got the evangelist, evangelistic zeal. And he came back to America and preached at American campus where a student named Wilbur Chapman came to Christ. Started getting involved in the YMCA. That was back when it was a Christian organization. And he employed a former baseball player named Billy Sunday, who started doing evangelistic work. Billy Sunday did a revival in North Carolina. 
Some of the local businessmen were so excited about this that they planned another evangelistic event, and they brought in a guy named Mordecai Ham to preach. And during Ham's revival, a young man named Billy Graham heard the gospel and received Christ. Now, let me ask you, how many of you know of somebody or you got saved through a Billy Graham revival? Anybody? Yeah, a few of you. We have a number here. You never know the impact you're going to have. I mean, this started back with Edward Kimball in 1858. You're part of that tree. You never know the impact you're going to have. That's why it's so important to plan to persevere by being strengthened in God's grace, by making disciples. Third, Paul tells Timothy to be devoted to a right mindset. Be devoted to a right mindset. Now, interestingly... It's a good lesson for us. Paul doesn't sugarcoat what it takes to disciple others. Verse 3 says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. What he's saying is that being a disciple maker includes sacrifice, it includes suffering. So Paul gives three metaphors on how to on the mindset of a faithful servant. We're called to have a right mindset as Christ's followers. We need a right mindset to persevere. The Holy Spirit wants you to renew your mindset. Where do you get that, Bill? Well, let me give you three verses. Look at Romans chapter 12, verses, verse 2. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How about Colossians chapter 3? Paul says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are earth. He says, I want you to have a right mindset. To persevere, you've got to get your mindset right. In Ephesians chapter 4, he talks about putting off the old, putting on the new. He says, to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So what Paul does is he gives to Timothy, he says, he says, I want you to have this mindset. And he gives him three examples, three mindsets. Here's the first one. The mindset of a soldier, which is single-mindedness. The mindset of a soldier. Look at verse 3 again. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. He says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Why? Since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Soldiers on active duty, they expect hardship. Conditions are going to be difficult. There may be suffering. There may be sleepless nights. There may be exhaustion. Paul's saying, Timothy... Have the mindset of a soldier. And in fact, a, a soldier on the front line is going to keep their priorities right. They don't waste their time with civilian pursuits. He says that in verse 4. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. That word entangled, it's a word that's used for a, a sheep that gets caught, gets their fur caught in thorns. It's like we, we, we don't want to get caught up. We want to we, we have this, this single-mindedness. It's when we drift away from our commanding officer. 
that we find ourselves getting entangled. What can we get entangled in? What keeps us from our pursuit of our enlisting officer? Well, social media could certainly be one of them. How many of you have ever had a sore thumb because you just kept doing this and this and this? And an hour later, you're just like, I just wasted all that time for nothing. Social media, certainly. It could be video games. I mean, I mean it, it can be... It can be, uh, it could be the love of money or, or the cares of the world or the deceitfulness of riches. It can be busyness. It can be entertainment. It, it can be even when your family. It's, it's when the good overcomes the best. Have you been distracted? It's been well said by many that Satan doesn't need to destroy us. He just needs to distract us. And he will. A good soldier's focus is to please the one who enlisted him. Let me ask you, who enlisted you into this Christian pursuit? Listen, God called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. No one comes to the Father unless he's called. That's why we need to have a single-minded purpose. We need to focus on the mission that God has, has called us to. So the first mindset is that of a soldier, single-mindedness. The second one is that of an athlete. We see that in verse 5. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, if you read much of the Bible, you know that Paul loved athletics. It may have been because he was close to the Isthmian Games in Greece. In fact, he has over 24 references of, of athletics being, being a race or wrestling or boxing. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, do you not know... Like, you should know, don't you know, that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, unless you have participation trophies. So run that you may attain it. Every athlete exercises control in all things. Listen, he's saying, run this race. Christian, run the race to win. Don't just show up. Run to win. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, Christ followers, an imperishable, a crown. He says, so I do not run aimlessly. Like understanding this, he goes, I don't run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others... I myself should be disqualified. He says, says, run so that you're not disqualified. Run so that you win the race. It's the idea of being self-disciplined. To train, to be rigorous. Follow the rules. Paul wanted Timothy to run. The Holy Spirit wants you to run, and he wants you to run to win. The fact is, we all have to give an account of our lives. We've talked about that the last couple weeks. The fact is, when we stand before the Lord, when we stand before the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, will we hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, or will we have to give an account for the fact that we've been lazy or busy or unfaithful or apathetic or distracted? Have the mindset 
of an athlete, but third, have the mindset of a farmer. Any farmers in the house? The mindset of a farmer is hard work. Look again at verse 6. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. That first share, it's, it's the blessing from the hard work. There's a blessing from working hard. A, a farmer gets up early. They work long hours. They plow. They, they, they plow. They plow. They sow. They tend. They, they weed. They reap. They store. They have to deal with disappointments, maybe floods, maybe droughts, maybe frost, maybe pests, maybe disease. They must plan. They must execute. They prepare for what's ahead. They must be patient. And most importantly, they have to depend upon the Lord. A farmer, unlike an athlete, gets very little recognition. But you know what propels them? They do it for an audience of one. To embrace disciple-making is to embrace obscurity, knowing that you're doing it for the one that enlisted you. The fact is, to persevere in this Christian life, you can't be lazy. In fact, I think a, a lazy Christian is an oxymoron. We should be the hardest working people because of who we're working for. So we plan to persevere by being strengthened by God's grace, by making disciples, by being devoted to the right mindset. And and fourth, he reminds them to reflect on the Lord's insights. Reflect on the Lord's insights. Look at verse 7. Think over what I said. Kind of an interesting little statement. Think what I'm saying. Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Don't just read these words and move on. I want you to stop for a minute. I want you to think about what I'm saying and the importance of this, Timothy. Think about these three metaphors. The Lord will give you understanding. That word understanding, it's it's the idea of coming together or emerging or a confluence. It's it's the idea of, of... of a puzzle coming together, and all the pieces coming together make this beautiful picture. That's what Paul is saying. Think over it. God's going to give you understanding. You're going to understand this. See, lack of understanding about our suffering can lead to discouragement and can may even make sin look attractive. But he says, I want you to reflect on these insights, and it starts with being strengthened by the grace of in Christ Jesus. I want you to be strengthened by the, by, the strength, by the grace of Christ Jesus. And notice what he says in verse 8. It's almost like an inclusio. He brackets it. Verse 8, he says this. Remember Jesus Christ. In case you were thinking that this is a list of do's and don'ts. No. Let this be born out of a right relationship of Jesus. I want you to think about Jesus Christ. And he goes on and he says, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. He says, I want you to reflect on the gospel, on the fact that Jesus was risen for the dead so you can have, have life. And I don't want you just to live this, this, this life that's just stagnant. I want you to be living this life that is, that is making a difference for the gospel. That, that when, when challenges come, you're ready. You persevere. You, you have the right mindset. You have the right strength. You're, you're devoted. 
that you're living this Christian life is an overflow of the beautiful gospel of what's happened to you. 